Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week's guest is Kara Goucher. Kara is an Olympian, a mom, a wife, and fighter for clean sport. She's also a new trail runner, and we dove into what that means for her in this episode. We talked a lot about the mental aspect of performance and what it's like for a two-time Olympian to try something totally new. I love talking with athletes as accomplished as Kara, because generally there's a reason why they've been so successful. In this episode, we didn't talk much about these accomplishments, but rather about how and why she's able to achieve such amazing things. We also dove into mental health and what that means for Kara. We both talked about seeing therapists and how important it has been for our own personal development. Kara admitted that the Leadville Trail Marathon that she ran earlier this year was the hardest thing she's ever done and how her attitude during and after the race has inspired her to keep testing herself on the trails. She talked about the next race that she's training for, and I'm super stoked to share a start line with her later this year. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Hello again. I am back here in Boulder, Colorado today with Kara Goucher recording a podcast. Um, so Kara, thanks for joining today and uh, excited to chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited too. For sure. So um, let's start. Who is who is Kara Goucher? The hardest question of, know, of anything we're so going to talk hard. about today. I was like, I'm not afraid of anything you ask me. And then you ask me that and I'm like, wait, what? Um, Dive into the heavy yeah, hitting questions right away. Um, I'm a mom and a wife and a sister and a daughter and I run a lot I'm very passionate about running I'm very passionate about um fighting for females and for clean sport but just also just being happy in my life and being thankful for what I have and being existent in my life so you're showing up in the in the places that matters that's that's the goal for you that is my goal yeah so let's talk about um so again, as we talked about, the, the goal of the podcast is to explore the why behind what keeps runners running strong, long, and motivated. And you've done some amazing things in your career, and this podcast is going to be more about like who are you now and why are you still doing it. Um, so I'm excited to dive into into dive to dive into that conversation. But let's start by looking back a little bit. So why why did you go out for your first run? My grandpa took me out for my first run. My grandpa, who is about to turn 94, um, or no, I'm sorry, he's about to turn 95, wow. was a lifelong runner until he just physically couldn't anymore. And he took me out for my first run. Um, when I was six years old, he took me to a mile run, like a, a race, actually. And so he's the one that got me into running, and it was kind of our thing and something that we related to each other on. My sisters are much more athletic than I am, like basketball players and, and really good soccer players. And even though I did that stuff, like 
I wasn't very good at it. Yeah. So running just sort of became my thing. And my grandpa and I really bonded us together. So that's how it all started. That's awesome. Um, the timing of, of that comment is interesting. Um, my I was just down in Florida for my grandfather's funeral. And we had like a real strong connection between the two of us. And he got me into sports. He got me into swimming. He got me into all of, you know, a lot of these things that, that um, I loved so much and loved doing with him. And it's really cool to hear that connection. One of the things I thought was wild was that a lot of people reached out and said they didn't have a connection with their grandparents or they passed away when they were young. So it's super cool that you had that connection and you were able to, um, he, he, you know, sent you down a path that has brought you to where you are today. Yeah, totally. I do think that like good things come from horrible situations. My dad died when I was four and we moved in with my grandma and grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I'd like to have my dad here today, I right. feel super like lucky that I'm super close with both of my grandparents yep. and I've gotten to know them and hear their stories and appreciate their lives, which if he hadn't passed away, I don't know that I would have had that. Yeah, it's wild. Like these these stronger connections that can come from like such pain. Yeah, totally. So that was your first run. Um, we're a couple of years beyond that now. Um, just a few, <laughs> just a few. Um, why do you continue to do it? You know, I just love the freedom I get in my life and in my soul, basically from yeah. running. Like people always ask me if I meditate and I'm not knocking meditation. I've tried really hard to be a good meditator and I'm sure I will continue to try, but I feel like running is my meditation and it's my therapy. It's sort of everything. While I do love competing, I just love the act of being healthy enough to go and go run yeah. and you know like I solve the world's problems on a run I come back happier even yesterday I was so stressed out um my son and his three friends were over they were being so loud and obnoxious I brought him to soccer soccer got canceled I had to drive them all home and I was so stressed out and then I went for a double and I came back just like okay yeah I can handle this so yeah yeah I love it about that um is is the move so are you are you focused now on trail running or is it is it still are you still running a lot of roads? I, I'm like 50 50. Yeah. I would say like I, I definitely want to explore more on the tra trail scene just because it's intriguing to me yep. and it's so different and it's such a challenge. But I love running on the roads, too. Right. And so I don't think that I would ever go full in either way again. Mm -hmm. I think. I'm training for another trail race right now, but I could see myself coming back and running a half marathon on the roads. It's kind of like. I just want to do what excites me. Yeah. Like if someone says, oh, I think you should do this. And I'm like, eh, then I won't. But if right. some, like someone suggested this 50K that I'm going to do and I was I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no, I want to do that. So then I'm like, OK, I'm going to train for that. Yeah. So, What's the 50K? Um, The North Face 50K. Oh, nice. In yeah. California? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a, we'll be running together. <laughs> Are you well, running it? not running together, but yes. Yeah. Um, They do such an amazing job with I've that heard race. It, like it was amazing. A lot of people told me to look into it. And then when I did, I was like. Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> have you run in Marin? I have not. It's the best. I mean, Boulder's pretty cool, but Marin That's is what also... That's I've heard, that it's just gorgeous. It's really runnable. It's challenging, yep. but it is runnable, and that the scenery is amazing. So, I'm, like, really... I think excited. that one will fit you well, because they joke that it's, like, a track meet ultra. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, That's exactly what I want. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's super runnable, and then, um, I don't know how much you know about the course, but it finishes over the Golden Gate Bridge and into yeah, Chrissy cool. Field. Yeah. So it's like you run, you know, 28 miles of trail and then you're back on the roads. Yeah. But that road is, you know, a three mile hill. 
that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, hopefully I'll be in better shape than I was in at Leadville at that point in the race, but I'm excited about it. Nice. So let's talk about Leadville. What was it like doing something that was like so wildly different than you've ever done before? Um, you know what? I was so naive to the whole thing that it was like not a big deal until maybe a couple of weeks out when I, when it started, like the media really yeah. started turning on it. And I had people being like, wow, are you sure this is the one you want to do for your first one? But I was like, well, there's no, it's like 10,000 feet, right? Yeah, 12,000 starts at 10,000 yeah. feet. That's the lowest point. So, and then, um, but I was just really naive about the whole thing. I was like, well, whatever. I was pretty fit going into Houston. I feel like if my hamstring hadn't flared up, I was going to run around 237. And now I just am, you know, adjusting to this different footing and I'm going to be fine. And, you know, it was a totally different monster and a different beast. And I totally did everything wrong. Like a, like a total rookie. What, what were some of the things you did wrong? I totally underestimated the effects of altitude over time being up that high. I totally underestimated the fueling that takes place when you're out there for more than two and a half hours. I totally underestimated the other women in the race because yeah. they went out so hard. And I thought, well, I just have to keep them in my just sights. match them. Yeah, for sure. I'll run them down, <laughs> you know, and like, no, I mean, the, the woman who won beat me by over a half hour. Wow. And I mean, there was like no coming back. Yeah. Me, you know, so I just re really opened my eyes to like, oh, this is a different yeah. ball game completely. And you can't just say, oh, I'm a pretty good marathoner. Right. right now. It translates. Just, yeah. yeah. And just move over. So prior to this train, that training cycle, what was your longest run in terms of time on feet? <laughs> my longest run. So I used to do three hour runs to right. prep for the marathon, which I did. Jerry Schumacher got me doing that. And then I did that with Mark and Heather as well. Um, so I had done one three hour run leading up to Houston and then before Leadville, I did one three and a half hour run. Yeah. Um, and I was like 20 miles, <laughs> it was 18, only like 18 miles. Yeah. It was a very challenging course. We climbed over 4,000 feet. So it was only 18 miles. Yep. And I mean, isn't it wild that like you so run wild. for that long and you, I don't want to say only cover that, but no, like it, it is, I've, I mean, that's, what's been hard for me to wrap my head around. Right. It's like, I've been out here for three hours and right. I only ran 15 miles. Right. It's wild. And it's so I'm training for something that w might take 14 hours and like you need five hour training days. And it's, <laughs> it's like crazy. you're still only going to cover like 25, 30 miles in, it is. in that amount of it's time. It's been hard for me to wrap my head around that and to say like not get obsessed with mileage. Right. Like say I'm doing a three and a half hour run, whatever it is it is. Right. And then, you know, my around uh, Marcus Hilly and I have trained together for Leadville and we get done and I'm like, we only went 18 miles. We should go out for at least three more. And he's like, dude, we just climbed <laughs> over like 4,000 feet, you know, like we did fine. But it has been very, that has been a challenge for me to shift. From, yeah. Like I love mileage, mileage, miles. mileage. Yeah. yeah. I am like, love to run 105 to 110. That's my happy place. And to let go of that a little bit and concentrate more on time that it has been hard. Yeah. You have to give yourself some grace that like you're running for so many hours but you're not covering the the distance that you're used to, but it's still time on feet and it's still like, you still need to fuel. Exactly. Um, did you have any brutal bonks in your, in your training or in the race itself? Oh, I mean the race. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I remember <laughs> we're going uphill and all these men around me are hiking and I'm like, suckers, <laughs> you know, I'm like running. Rookie mistake. And I'm getting like literally like maybe five seconds off, yeah. them, you know, and then it flattens out and starts to go down. They just go flying by right. me. And, you know, I remember the first time I looked down at my garment, I was like, Ooh, I feel like I might be 
Like I might have Cooked. gone over the <laughs> yeah. edge. And I looked down and my Garmin said 11.6 miles. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God, you know? So then I like slowed down. I tried to gather myself and we went into the woods into this like kind of gnarly trail. And I don't know how I didn't fall. I was lightheaded. Um, and when I popped out at that point, we're at like 15 or 15 and a half miles. And I mean, I was done. Yeah. I was like looking for an exit strategy. <laughs> I was like, how do I get myself out of this? You know, looking for cougars and bobcats. And yeah, I'm like, <laughs> somebody yeah, eat apparently me. <laughs> a bear ran across the course, but I didn't see that. But I, I mean, I really wanted to be done because yeah. I come from the mentality of you train you, super hard for this podium or to qualify for something. If it's right. not happening, you shut it down. Right. And save it for next time. Yeah. yeah. You find something six weeks down the road. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad I didn't do that. But that's definitely where I was mentally. It was like, and I'm done. Yep. This is not going how I thought. This is not a good experience. So those are the those are the ones that like they go so poorly in the moment or like you have that stretch, but you save that. And in the future, uh, it's like you pull on that. I had a terrible race at Boston 2017 and I had the same like feeling at mile seven and to stare down the road in Natick, like thinking like, oh, shit, (laughs) I have 19 miles of this hell and like literally like falling down Be- uh, Beacon Street. But I wouldn't trade that for the world because you like you draw on those experiences. So I think a lot of people have these horrible races. I, I don't want to call yours horrible, no, but like okay if, you if you if you have a horrible race, it's like the worst thing in the world. But I think it's a great thing. Like it's humbling and it's good for you. It's interesting how you process it yeah. because immediately after I was like, told my husband and my agent she was there I was like I don't think I'm ever gonna run again don't I'm never gonna race again I don't know if I'm ever gonna run again like I think this ruined running for me and they were like okay okay yeah sure 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 no I was just yeah I was just like (laughs) I mean I was just in utter agony yeah and then as the days went by after I was like well I mean kind of want to like conquer it yeah you know and then the next thing I know the competitive desire yeah yeah. But yeah, my initial reaction was like, I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was very embarrassed. Um, so how was handling that as someone that's like very public? So I was very embarrassed. Um, like when I finished the race, I knew I had peed all over myself. I wasn't sure if I had pooped all over <laughs> myself or not. Like I finished, That's allowed in trail running. Though. Yeah, I know. Nobody cares. Like I didn't know. But, <laughs> it's actually, you get bonus points. <laughs> yeah. I think they take 10 minutes off uh, for so every... I like finished the race and I have like vomit on my <laughs> jersey and I, I definitely peed. It's like my soaks, my socks are soaked in it and I'm like, saying to adam like did i poop myself he's like no but (laughs) not that i know of yeah um and i was just so embarrassed because there had been so much tension about me doing it and so and i was very sick like i'm still throwing up and stuff so they were like you don't need to come to the award ceremony you know like thank you so much for being a part of it so we went back to our airbnb and showered up and ate a little food and then i was like you know what i need to go i need to like face this i can't just like hide here and be like Oh, I came in thinking I was going to be right. amazing. And it turns out it's really hard. And so I went to the award ceremony and I'm so glad I did because I thought people were going to be like, idiot. Yeah. And instead they were like, well, that's not the vibe. That's not one bit. Yeah. It was like, welcome. We're so glad you came. Everybody was so nice to me. And I'm like, wow. I mean, like, I'm so glad I went because I would probably still be embarrassed about it. Yeah. You know, and instead I left that going like, okay, I mean, these people still liked me. They were still nice to me. That's the coolest thing about trail running. I think that people really don't give a shit no. about your time, your place, your your anything. They they care when you when you do it in the moment, and then it's just like then it's over. Yeah. Um. Even you know Western States winners and Leadville winners, all that stuff. Like, sure, it's cool, but they care more about like 
your journey to get there. And the fact that like you're challenging yourself, you're doing something new and you showed up and had a tough day. Yeah. I I mean, I can't even tell you, like I was came out of the woods and I'm like, I have to drop out because I have to walk. And these people were like, walking's allowed. Yeah. It's no big deal. My coach wrote a, um, wrote a blog for trail runner magazine, uh, like promoting hiking. It's like, if you hike, you're doing it right. Yeah. And it's wild, but like you go from, from, you know, watching splits of five minute miles to 15 minute miles. Yep. And it's like, it's super humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah. So what, what's, what are you doing differently training for North Face versus Leadville? Or what are you going to do to, to tweak and, and make sure that, um, you know, by mile 11, you're still, you know, pretty fired up? I'm training quite a bit harder this time around. I'm cause I'm running more. I mean, I got up to like 80, 85 while I was training for that, but I only held it for a couple of weeks. And this time I'll have held it for more like eight weeks. Um, I'm doing more longer runs um, and I'm trying to do some speed. So basically I'm doing like one session a week of speed, which is not like hardcore speed, right. but trying to maintain some of that so that when I do have a chance to run a six mile, it doesn't feel excruciating. Right. Where are you doing the speed work? On like trails, but not technical. Yeah. Just flat, nice. Like fire leg style? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And then I did do some 800s last week <laughs> just because I missed that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I trained with this guy, Marcus Hilly. We do a lot of our runs together. And he was like, why do you want to do 800s on the track? <laughs> I was like, because I need to feel I miss good it. about myself. Yeah. <laughs> need um, to hit those. Yeah, I need to, you know, it wasn't even fast. But I just like, I miss, I do miss that kind of stuff too. And then I'm just trying to do one good long run a week and one where it's long and on like roads and one that's time-wise long but on trails. Yeah. So it's not like I'm going to go there and just dominate or anything, but I know I personally will be much more. Feel prepared. better. Yeah. Do you do any back-to-back long days? Yeah, so I started doing that too. So every other week I do a long run on Friday and then a tempo run on Saturday. So it's, again, none of it's crazy intense. It's right. just like getting out and clicking down to 630s on tired legs. Yeah. It's like, ugh, you know, but it. I think it's going to help me. I'm yep. hoping it's going to help. That was the biggest change. So I started working with um, David Roche a year-ish ago, and that was the biggest change with him and just like feeling better, mm-hmm. um, you know, do... I was doing like two and a half to three and a half hours and then like 90 minutes the next day. And it's just like, it sucks, but (laughs) (laughs) it's good. So, yeah, I hear a lot. um, I don't have a coach right now, but I hear a lot of good things about him. And I, I think that I got some of this training from him. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a lot of good stuff on, on trail runner and, and a lot of good dog pictures on Instagram. Yeah, that's always good. That's that's what, that's what's good. Um, so have you, so you're, you're, are, are you self-coaching? I am self-coaching. Yeah. How's that been? It's fine. You know, Mark and Heather guided me a little bit to Leadville. Um, but I just felt like I didn't know what I was doing and they are so busy with people trying to achieve really big things that for this race, I was like, I'm just going to do it on my own. If this race goes better. You mean when it goes better? When it goes better. And, and if I'm like, yeah, okay, now I really want to give this a go, then I will get a coach. But but part give of this it a... is I don't want the pressure of the expectation. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to do it on my own and have it be my own thing. Yeah. And then if I were to run this and it went well and I felt really good about it, then I, I mean, I've already told Adam, like, then I'm probably going to get a coach for the next adventure I choose. Is that, what would you, what would you look to make that adventure? 
longer um, or, or yeah i think i would really like to run a 50 miler i think i don't i don't have interest in going 100 just to be clear to everybody um, yet or ever like, not nah, i don't not right now <laughs> at all so maybe in the future <laughs> is what you're saying but i would like to do a 50 it, I, for whatever reason that's very intriguing to me and then why, um, why do you think that is like i'm doing this 50k and i know it's going to be super hard yep but i know as long as it's i don't run like a total idiot it's attainable yeah but 50 miles is like it's just, it's basically two marathons, right? right? So that for me, mind wise is really like, I mean, could I do that? Like, right. could I hold it together upstairs for that <laughs> long? Um, and so is that, is that what fuels you that like, I don't know if I can do this? Yeah. And I mean, I have to be totally honest. One of the things that I didn't like after Leadville, I did not like who I was. Why, why not? Because my mind was so negative. And like, I pride myself on like being really tough and yeah. kind of gritty. And maybe I'm not like the most talented person out there, but I want it and I'm gritty. And I could find nothing positive. <laughs> if it wasn't for other people, I would have dropped out. And I didn't, I didn't like that person. She was like so dark. Yeah. I mean, so dark. Like I was having thoughts of like, I just want some, I like, I want something to come out of the wilderness and just drag me off. Like, <laughs> like really, I can laugh about it now, but like I wanted end game like, like that was your that was it yeah. like this day needs is to be over yeah like i don't even care if it means death <laughs> eat and, my ankle yeah, please something <laughs> and i don't i was like ooh, i don't really like that person but now that i've gotten away from it i'm kind of like okay well i kind of feel like i need to face that dark yeah. side a little bit is that so, the worst you've ever felt in a race yeah oh yeah that's the hardest I mean, it's, I know people are like, oh, whatever, you've been to the Olympics and you won a medal, but like, no, that was the hardest thing by far that I've ever done by far. <laughs> like nothing comes close. How does it compare to standing on the start line of the Olympics, knowing that everyone around you is the fittest in the world and the fittest that they have ever been or that they've been in a while? Like walk me through the, like the comparison between this is the hardest thing that I've ever done versus the comparison of all these women are so insanely fit and I'm racing them. You know, I've always been good about saying like, I know I'm not the best runner in the world. I just know that I'm not like so full of myself, but I would always get as fit as I could be right. and then hope for an opportunity. But if they were going to run like in the 10 K, if they were going to run twenty nine thirty, or if in the marathon, they were going to run two eighteen, that's not my race. Right. So I was always nervous. Don't get me wrong. Really nervous. But my thing was like, I know what I'm ready to do. I'm ready to run a PR, but I'm not ready to do that. So as long as they stay within my wheelhouse, I'm going to run with them and hope for a window of opportunity. Right. And, you know, I, <laughs> for most of my career, have been really good at running my own race. Right. And maybe when the move happens at the end, I just don't have it. But like pretty good at like performing where I thought I was. Leadville was just physically so hard and it, I don't know. I've just never been in a place where like I'm puking, I'm peeing myself. Everything hurts. Everything hurts so bad. Like my lungs hurt, my body hurts. And it's just like finding a reason to continue on when like no one actually cares <laughs> right. if this race or not. By the way, the, the I'm puking and peeing and, and there's vomit everywhere is going to be like the, the caption of this podcast. <laughs> great, great. And we'll see who listens. But you're just like, why I am, I am physically, this is the, mo I mean, I even had this thought and I am not kidding. I gave birth to my son and it was a very painful experience. And I even thought that was easier. Than 
mean, I was thinking this. So it's like physically and emotionally, it was just like, why am I like, why am I doing this? Like this doesn't, it doesn't qualify me for anything. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get me a USA singlet. Like, so yeah, just like finding a reason to continue on. So, I mean, I never, I was always very, very nervous at the Olympics. I'm not like trying to do that at all, but I was also very fit and I was very in tune with what I was ready to do. Level is just ugh. so. How did you pull yourself out of the like that that negative space? Not necessarily in the race, but you mentioned like you didn't like the person afterwards. How did you get out of like I don't want to call it like post race blues, but like how did you write that ship? I think like as the days went on, I got back into like jogging lightly, and the I just had so much positive feedback from other people, which made me be like, huh. I mean, like I feel if I. I bonked a road marathon, I would be embarrassed and I'd be like, see, told you she's too old. She's like, you know, whatever the negative stuff would be. But you're like just getting into the, like the average, like killer age of, of trail running. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, but the, the energy was like so positive back. And then I started to think like, I don't really want to run from that. I kind of want to face it. Like I kind of want to face that ugly side of me and no, I mean, even though I did get through it, I, I feel like I barely got through it. So I would like to just face it again and know that like I am stronger than that negativity. That's awesome. Um, I think North Ace will be a super cool opportunity to, to do that. Um, surrounded by some really awesome athletes. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, someone I was telling someone that I'm running there and they're like, that's like a championship race. I was like, oh, great. Here we go again. But once again, like, I really am going to be focused on myself this time. I'm not going to be paying attention to what anyone else is doing. Yeah. Um, it's cool because it's a trail race, but there's tons of, of crowd support. And then the, the, um, the finish line area is just like a massive party and like they have a concert and like people stick around for hours afterwards. So again, it's like, the kind of thing where it's like, oh, hi, you finished? Welcome to the party. Yeah. It doesn't matter, again, what you've done. You've overcome your own, you know, personal battle to get there. But it's, yeah, it's a super cool environment. Yay. I can't wait. Nice. Um, so that is eight weeks away? Nine mm-hmm. weeks away? Yeah. Yep. I cool. Think nine weeks, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, that should be fun. We'll definitely see you out there. Um, so a question that I like to ask um, is about balance. So you wear a ton of hats and you're active on social media. You're active with your family. You're active, you know, with sponsors. Um, how do you, how do you handle that? How do you balance it all? Yeah, I think balance is like a tricky word because I don't think I'm ever really truly balancing everything perfectly. It's kind of like I prioritize at different stages. So, you know, like, when other women want to come on board and fight for maternity protection, I'm going to go in on all in on that. And some of my other stuff is going to fall to the side. Um, when my son is struggling in school, everything else is going to fall to the side. When I'm really trying to like run fast in Houston or run a, a fast marathon for myself in Houston, all the other stuff kind of falls to the side. Every once in a while I do find myself in a hole and then I just like disconnect for like two days. It's like, I'm dead. I just like take my son to school and then go back and sit in bed. I'm serious. Like I go for a run and just get in bed and then I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, in general, it's just sort of like, it's a lot of moving parts and it's a lot of like what's important in the moment. Magda Boulay had a very similar answer. She's like, balance is overrated. You just go all in (laughs) on, on what is important to you. 
and her her answer was basically um if i can look my son and my husband and and uh in the face at the end of the day and like be proud of the decisions i made on that day that's a good day i totally agree i i mean like honestly obviously my husband and my son will always come first but even they know sometimes i push them on the back burner a little bit for stuff but what really matters is that they know I am there for them when they need me and that I'm doing things that make them proud. I think that's uh, that's super important. Um, one question that came to us from, I think it was Twitter, was um, managing, and, and I believe this was in your book, uh, Strong, um, managing the imposter syndrome and, and um, more about how you how you've experienced it, if you've experienced it and how that applies in sport and also sort of other parts of life and, and other professions as well. Yeah. I mean, I've struggled with imposter syndrome my whole life and I still do, right? Like I'll be on a panel at, in London and I'm like, why am I here? I yeah. don't belong here. Um, but why do you think that is? You, you've done all these incredible things. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just one of those things. I have like low lane, low level anxiety and that's the way it really presents itself. I mean, you were talking about the Olympics. My very first Olympic experience, my first race, the 10,000, I had won a medal the year before. The same top two women were first and second. And I was so, I had such imposter syndrome that I was warming up in the practice track and I was crying. Wow. I was like visibly crying. And we went into the stadium and I thought, if I can just see my husband, my coach, or my mom, It'll be better. And of course, we went in and it's like 80,000 people, which is more than are in my hometown. Right. And I didn't see any of them. And I was just running like, I, why am I here? Like, these women are so good. So it's like, it's something that I've always had to really work on. And and, and I think that a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. Um, and it does apply to like other things in my life. Like, even my son picking him up from school the first two years, I was like, pretend you're on your phone. Like, you know, like everyone will realize you don't have any friends here. <laughs> and then now I've like developed friendships and stuff. But yeah, I think it's just one of those things that I always kind of feel like if they really knew that I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota and ate spam and goulash and stuff like they'd realize I'm not that smart and I'm not that talented and I'm not, you know, like that's the negative chatter that yeah. comes into my head. And I've just had to really learn how to fight that. And I talk about that in strong but the same sort of stuff that I've applied to running, I've, I've applied to life. Like I just, you know, reminding myself that I deserve to be here. I've done the work to be here. I am educated on this topic enough to have an opinion. But I think it's one of those things that's like, that's just one of my things. And I'll probably always have to work on it. So how have you worked on it? What what sort of tools have you have you used? I mean, I've been in therapy like basically my whole life, but I think like the one tool that's helped me the best is keeping a confidence journal. And I used to keep one for running, but now I keep one more for life. Yeah. Um, and every day I have to write something positive about myself, which sounds super cheesy, but there's something about when you're having that anxiety or having that imposter feeling, flipping through that and seeing your own words being like, hey, you did this today. Yeah. So-and-so asked you for your opinion today. Someone that you respect asked you for your opinion on this, you know? And then, of course, in running, like, you did this workout and you did that workout. And, like, you deserve to be here. You've yeah. earned your position here. Um, so you casually mentioned you've been in therapy your whole life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> therapy has changed my life entirely, and I think that everyone should see a therapist. Uh, PSA. Um, have you been seeing the same therapist for years or have you changed as you've moved? What's, what's I been changed the... when I moved. Yeah. So I, I mean, I first started therapy when I was really little for kids that had lost a parent. Mm -hmm. And then 
I started experiencing a lot of race anxiety in high school and saw a therapist then. Was it a sports psychologist or was it like a... It was... So actually, I was a dancer. So I went to a dance therapist. Mm -hmm. Like you would dance out your feelings. But then I was so worried that I looked like a fool. It actually like totally backfired. Um, But then I started seeing a sports psychologist in college. And then when I moved to Oregon, I had two different therapists there. And then when I moved back here, I went back to my old therapist. So I... You know, I am, I have like, that used to embarrass me. Yeah. I mean, I was in therapy for years. I went through a bout of depression where I had to be medicated. I would like never admit that. Yeah. Now I'm like, why am I embarrassed about that? Right. Like, I don't care. Like if talking to someone and someone helping me see the goodness in myself and the strength in myself helps me like, okay. Yeah, do it. Like, why am I embarrassed about this? Yeah. You know, so it's just interesting how I ended up writing a book about how mentally weak I was. Right. Essentially. <laughs> But and but so it's a ringing endorsement for your therapist. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but in the end, I, I feel like I've turned it into a strength. Like I'll admit when I what I'm weak about, and that's okay. It doesn't it doesn't have any power over me right. anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the acknowledgement of like this is something I'm working on is empowering I instead think. of being embarrassed and keeping it quiet and wishing it would just go away i'm like no you can't you don't get to have power over me i'm yeah. gonna fight this so it's been so cool because i started seeing a therapist last august after i like i saw one when i was in i don't know third grade through ninth grade i was a very depressed kid um and i started talking about it and i just started getting all these messages from people like i see a therapist too in the first two weeks I had, I don't know, 10 conversations in person where I casually mentioned that I like my therapist, blah, blah, blah. Me too. I see a therapist too. And it's wild how many people see a therapist, but don't talk about it. Right. And I think, I think that, I don't want to say the times are changing. I sound like, you know, a grandparent, but (laughs) (laughs) I think the times are changing and it's like becoming normal. You have people like Mario Fraioli who have this massive platform and and that he's so open about it and i think for men in particular to admit and talk about the fact that they're doing it and you're not weak no. you're strong no exactly i do think the times are changing i think we're coming to a point where we are learning to appreciate people as a whole and that the pressures we have in society and stuff it it brings people down it's a lot and that we don't necessarily have the tools to handle it all and that's what you get from therapy you just get tools to handle situations that are hard definitely and then applying what you do in sport to life i think that i've done a i've had like a lot of ups and downs that i've matched with like really awesome training and really awful like life moments and it's so cool to like accept and acknowledge that like this conversation is going to suck and I embrace that and then just dive into it. Um, I think that's super powerful. Yeah. The parallels are, are incredible. Everything I've learned to become more focused and more deliberate in my running has translated to real life. Totally. Yeah. So what advice would you give freshmen you college or high school? Let's do both. Okay. High school. I would say, you know, you are so fast and so little and it's so fun. Yeah. And, but your body's going to change and you're about to grow eight inches and you're going to feel like you let everybody down because you're not going to be that cute little girl anymore. And your body is just doing what it's supposed to do. 
And you're not a failure because you're gaining weight. You're actually who you're supposed to be. And at some point, you're going to be so strong and your body is going to be so strong. You're going to be able to do things you never imagined you could do. So be gentle on yourself. See it through and lean on your friends because you guys are all going through the same sort of thing. That's what I would have told her. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Now, now college. Uh, college. Um, I came into college like a damaged high school runner. So I would say all the things you want can be, again, similar to high school, have patience and really believe in what you're doing and don't ever get caught up on what someone else is doing because someone else's path is not your path. Just really stay focused on your path and your small progress and staying true to yourself and everything that you hope to be will be. That's awesome. We got to invent a time machine so that every time I, I ask this question, we can I go back. And... <laughs> I was so hard on myself and so just so hard on myself. And I wish I would have been gentler and I wish there had been, it's, I had very supportive mother and sisters and everything, but I wish I could, there was no real adult being like, Hey, I went through that too, you know? And so I just, that's why I started my girls camp. I just want them to hear it from someone who looks like they have it all that I also had doubts. I also PR'd as a freshman and never PR'd again <laughs> until I went to college and it's, it's okay. Yeah. So, um, you talked about comparison there. Is that something you focus on now in terms of like not doing? I know I've noticed that um, there are a lot of pros that publicize their workouts and they talk about their workouts, and there are others that um, that don't. So, sort of where what's your what's your approach when it comes to you know Strava or stuff like that, uh, and sharing the details of of the journey? You know, I don't. I have a Strava account. I used it quite a bit leading up to the Olympic trials in 2016, but I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest. I like never looked at what anyone else was yeah. doing. Um, I, I have fallen into that trap, especially I would say in the mid 2000s or and late 2000s where I was really obsessed with what other people were doing around the world and around the country. And that it just, it never, for me, it never worked out. Yeah. When I was just focused on me and like, hey, I'm making progress and I can look back two weeks and see that I've come so far in two weeks, that's when I really got in a great zone. Right. Um, I think when I compare myself to other people, then I'm just falling back into that trap of imposter syndrome. Like, I don't deserve to be here. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. So it's not to say I don't follow people because I do and I think it's fun to follow people, but I don't follow people's training. Got it. Um, let's talk social media. Um, you have a pretty large audience that listens and is passionate and sometimes uh, less than favorable with their replies, as we were talking about. Um, how do you approach social media as as someone um, in this, I don't want to say in the spotlight, but with, with a platform like that? It's interesting. I think like I'm on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and they're all very different. Like Twitter, I am much more brazen and sharing my like, like hardcore off the cuff, thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, Instagram is a little more like family oriented yep. and like the happy side of my life. <laughs> and then Facebook, I'm sorry if you follow me on Facebook, but I just post when <laughs> I remember. I like never remember. So I don't really even know what I would categorize, categorize my Facebook as. Um, I never had a Facebook account, so I never got into it. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's for a long time in my life. I wanted to be liked, even if it meant literally standing by and watching people talk and say things or do things that I did not agree with. 
because I just wanted to be liked. I just never wanted to ever argue with anyone or have someone not like me. And then I found the power of my voice. But part of that was learning that there's a lot of people that don't agree with you. Yeah. And they're not afraid to say it, especially on a platform like Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So it's been like a whole kind of journey to get to the point where it's like, I'm not saying what I'm saying to please anyone. Right. It's for I'm you. I'm saying what I'm saying because it is what I believe and what I believe. It's the right thing to say and do. And if you don't like it, you have every right to feel that way. But also, just a quick reminder, you don't have to follow right. me. Yeah, nobody's forcing you to read all <laughs> like, your tweets. You're coming to my right. account. And if you disagree and you want to let me know, that's fine. But I do feel like there's a line that's crossed when it's constant harassment. Like, you actually clicked the follow button. You can unclick it. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I've talked with Amelia Boone a lot about is, like, that exact topic. Like, dealing with people replying. And I was chatting with Sally about it, too. and. And what I said to her, I was like, if you're not, if people aren't disagreeing with you, you're not taking enough risks. And I think that, I think that if you go through life, just sort of like status quo, like, ho-hum, nobody ever disagrees with me. And you have this platform. I think that's like a lost opportunity. Um, so I think it's cool that like sometimes people, I don't want to say ruffle feathers, but, mm. um, you know, take a stance yeah and i mean i i'll be the first to admit i'm not perfect and i don't yeah. know everything and i might i may say something that i later regret but we I, all do yeah but i hope that i'm like woman enough to own it right to be like you know what that was like uh just gut reaction and yep. like a really quick reaction and i shouldn't have done that and i shouldn't have said that i feel like we could be a little bit more like forgiving on twitter <laughs> um but, you know, I, I get a kick out of some of the people that I know just follow me to hate me. And it used to really bother me. But now I kind of like get it. It's funny, it. right? Yeah, I'm like, it's like you ha don't have enough yeah. things to do in your life that like you need to but just troll like me. Obsessed, you know, like it's kind of like you a, are a fan. Yeah, it's kind know? of like a um, like a kudos. Like, well done. Yeah. Like, I, I just remember this quote by Madonna. She was like, bitch, <laughs> if you follow every little thing I do and complain, Bitch, hate to tell you, you're a fucking fan. <laughs> and I think of that with this few group of people that follow me and constantly disagree with everything I say. But yeah, it, it is hard. Yeah. Obviously, like I don't like to be told that I'm a liar or whatever it is. But um, but I'm, am I going to let them silence me from what I know is right? No way. So let's talk about some of those things that are more controversial. That uh, maybe not more controversial, but like what are the things that that are the three most important for for Kara in terms of this is me, this is what I care about. Yeah. I mean, I think clean sport is like probably uh, clean sport and women's equality. Those are like my two big yeah. things. And I care passionately about protecting the sport and I care passionately about women being given the same opportunity as men. And um, I you know, I don't hate men at all. I'm married to a man. I have a son. <laughs> I actually love men. I just want to make sure that women, I mean, I've been in plenty of places where I was talked down to or not paid the same amount or whatever, because I don't have male anatomy. So right. I just don't want that. I just want to be a part of the solution on that. So I would say those are my two big things. I mean, like my biggest passion is really like my family and running. Um, but like the things that people find controversial are when I talk about clean sport or, you know, like 
this summer at the World Cup when I was talking about pay equality. I mean, people God forbid. crazy. Yeah, Dan Ronan from the BBC like retweeted one of my tweets and I had like 4,000 angry <laughs> European men commenting. I was like, oh shit, but I'm not going to back down. Right. You know, I believe I'm right. So you can, you know, tell me that I'm stupid and mansplain it to me and that's fine. And but Madonna not... would still say Madonna that they're fa- still a fan. Say, You're a fucking fan, man. <laughs> Amazing. We're going to have to have a um, a cameo appearance by Madonna. That would make me so happy. <laughs> so Clean Sport, um, you're part of Clean Sport Collective. It's a super awesome. Well, go for it. What is yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't start Clean Sport Collective. Shanna Burnett and her husband and the CEO of um, Noon, Kevin Rutherford, started it. And it's it's changed. It's a nonprofit. And originally, the goal was to raise money for... Um, like drug testing and things like that. But it very quickly became apparent that we were never going to raise enough money to right. do that. So um, now we're we're still figuring out who we are, but we started a podcast where we're allowing people to talk and share their thoughts and frustrations or whatever it is. But it's it's just a cool culture of people that want to support athletes that are doing it the right way and athletes that want to be able to talk about their frustrations. I feel like most media doesn't want to hear that, especially at the world championships or the Olympics. So we're kind of giving them a place where they can share their frustrations. So what are your, some of, what are some of your frustrations with the way that the sport is at the moment? I mean, I'm really frustrated right now. <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, you have a platform. A, about a case that was dismissed and I'm really frustrated that I've been a part of a case that still has no conclusion. And so I'm really just frustrated, but I, I always am. And I think I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And then I go to bed and wake up the next day and go, well, no, I'll fight another day. Um, I just think there are definitely people doing it the right way and everything. But I feel like at the very tippy top, no one cares. And they care more about the money coming in and the attention that the sport gets than actually having a fair, clean competition. And that is infuriating to me because without the athletes, they wouldn't have any money at all. So... I'm in sales, and a, a thing that, that my boss likes to say is, what's it going to take? Mm-hmm. What's it going to take? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and we've talked about it a lot we've, with people on the podcast in the last week, but I, I think it, it takes the athletes coming together because the athletes, in the end, are the ones with the power. It's very hard to unionize Olympic sports because right. we have different seasons. We're sponsored differently. Um, but I do think it's going to take like some massive protest or some unionization of the athletes for us to finally get through because the people that are elected officials, they're nothing changes. It's all talk. Right. I mean, London was supposed to be the cleanest games ever. We were promised cleanest games and we're finding out it was like pretty dirty, crazy yeah. dirty. Yeah. So it's like, it's just. And what happens? I mean, like, so we're finding that out seven years later. Well, that's, it's too late now for all of those athletes that that right, was they their missed moment. that podium. Yeah, it's, it's over. So, so not to change gears entirely, but, um, I have a really tough question. Um, what is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> oh, that's not what I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> what did you think um, I was going to ask you? I don't know. Something <laughs> about like the case I'm involved in or something. Um, <laughs> Probably Madonna, like yeah. like a prayer. Like a prayer yeah. is a good one. I used good. to go to a summer camp that we would do karaoke at Applebee's in like rural New Hampshire, and like a prayer was like the go-to it on Thursday good. nights. Like everyone knows all the yeah, words. Yeah, all the words. Even if you say you don't, you know <laughs> you all do. the words. Yeah, life is a mystery. <laughs> um, <laughs> where do you think 
cross country is going? Oh man, I worry about cross country. I love cross country. Like you're talking about like the actual running across cross country sport. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love cross country. I think it's some of the most pure form of the sport. I feel like we've kind of abandoned it on the, you know, world elite level. And that makes me really sad. We used to have world cross country more often, more teams, more people going, um, you know, I know a lot of people would like to see it in the Olympics. I would love to see it in the Olympics. I don't know that that's ever going to happen because I feel like the Olympics keep changing to bring in more sort of flashier current events. And I mean, I, I think like the 200 and the 10K and some of the three events are on the cho- chopping block yeah. moving forward. So I don't see them adding that, but I love cross country. I just think it's like this crazy, amazing place where it takes so much strength and thought and courage to run a good cross country race. And I just love following the college scene now because that's where we really still have it. I have a friend who lives in um, San Francisco and he's a, he's an ultra runner and he and his friends love hammering cross country races. He's like, it's the best training ever. You, you, you know, go for a long run and the next day do a cross country race or do, do the cross country race and then go for a long run. He's like, you just find your limits so fast. Um, do you think you'll you'll incorporate anything like that into training going forward and like just jump in short, hard, fast races? Just yeah, for I mean, the I, suffer my, fest? I feel like my hamstring would pull just thinking about <laughs> it. But yeah, I mean, I, I still have this dream of like coming back and trying to make one more cross-country team because I feel like there's... Olympic teams and world teams are off the table at this point in my life, but maybe a cross country team because so many people seem to pass when they make it. Um, I just love cross country. I, and Adam and I have talked about this, like making a cross country series. And I think, I don't know if there was like enough interest, maybe that would be something I would be willing to work on. I just feel like it's, there's so much high school cross country participation there's and gotta then it just be goes nowhere. And then it just, yeah. It's just done. Right. Yeah. If you don't go to college and run in college, it's just, it's just done. And there has to be uh, so many people that would be like, wait, I used to do that. I used to love that. I would do that again. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, what are you scared of? Oh, geez. Disappointing my son, and my family. What do you do to, um, make sure that the things that scare you turn into strengths? Yeah, I mean, Colt's like been a little, you know, this little baby came into the world. I had no idea how to care for him. I, but he's turned like he, mama bared me, like something happened. Yeah. And so my, I just want him to know that I always did what I b- truly believed was right and that I didn't let anyone intimidate me into not speaking my truth. And so, yeah, I feel like he's given me sort of superpower to just like say the things that I feel like need to be said. And I mean, the thought of disappointing my family is like, I mean, just terrible. (laughs) And so I just really try to live in a way that I know is right for myself. And that makes them proud. And it means not being quiet all the time and not always being quote unquote, like American pie, like doing right. what the hard things, but that are good in the long run for the long run, for the long run. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite things about living in this beautiful Boulder, Colorado landscape? I love that. Um, it's just so outdoorsy. Yeah. I mean, like 
everything's about biking to school and going on this hike and, and you can do it all year round. And I really love that. Like I feel like Colt practices his soccer. I mean, the backdrop around is mountains, crazy. Yeah. He's literally up against the mountains. And sometimes I'll like take a picture and I'll be like, you live here. You know, like this is, <laughs> this like, isn't normal. This is not like a normal childhood existence. Yeah. So I love how accessible everything is. And it seems like, you know, people are just very active here and not necessarily good at the competitive side of it. <laughs> but um, I like that people are outdoors and yeah. I love that. Have you heard the term Boulder average? No. So I had a few people on the podcast from Boulder last time I was here. And one of them, Matt Daniels, uh, is a sub four miler. And he's like, great. Like, there are like 50 of those in this town. Like, I'm not special. <laughs> it is a little crazy. Like, everyone is so fit. Like, I'm like, I don't want to go to Whole Foods. I like gained a little weight. And then I'm going to see all these people. And I went like, to, what happened to Kara? I went to Whole Foods yesterday. And it was like, it was like it looked like the Olympic training center, no, like does. all the people it in does. there. And they're just average Boulder citizens, right. but they all are just really, really fit and really, really outdoorsy and really. And they like, bike there on their tri bikes <laughs> and then carry their stuff on their back. It's crazy. Yes, yeah, I know. It's like, it is intimidating. Honestly. I remember when I was in college going home and telling my mom, I mean, remember I grew up in Minnesota, not to knock Minnesota, but I was right. like, Everyone, all the women have muscles. Yeah. All the women have like arm muscles and calf muscles. <laughs> and she's like, okay. But I had never seen women, so many women that were like lean like that, yeah. that were defined. Like I just had never, not like not so many, you yeah. know? Um, and that's also bad. You know, obviously it's bad. But it's a little unrealistic lifestyle and just what your friend said sub four minute guy and he's like wow it's just average that's actually not average that's not but yeah around here it's like oh yeah, yeah. Like, i can do that on a saturday <laughs> he was like he's like boulder average is having a shoe sponsor like that's oh, yeah. that's yeah, average sponsored yeah everyone's like working for kona or boston <laughs> or you know like like my friends will be like oh did you get recognized in the store i'm like nobody cares what i'm doing here they're like big deal you're trying to make whatever team like i'm trying to do whatever yeah like, me too yeah, exactly i'm going to the world champs in this yeah it's like okay. and then i'm doing an iron man and yeah. then i'm doing a <laughs> then i'm gonna true. bq in the iron man it's so crazy um so another question i had was i completely forgot it <laughs> i'm not gonna edit this out i like That's i think so this is I, would do. I think this is funny this is really important <laughs> So when you're, when you're in that environment though, like it can, it can be intimidating, right? Like oh, yeah. you've been to the Olympics and there are people around you that are, you know, going to the Olympics and mm -hmm. whatnot. So is it something you think about or is it, is it like, are you desensitized to it at this point? I think I've gotten better. Um, because I just have to be like, well, what does it matter? Kira? Right. right. Like, what does it matter? Like, if they look fitter than you, or right. it, I mean, you're going to prevent yourself from going to get that blonde brownie you want at Lucky's Bakehouse because you're afraid you might see I was see there today. It was so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to go and get the $5 blonde yeah, brownie because was... I really want it. Um, and so you just have to say, you know, like, I'm doing my best. And it, and you know what? They are not judging you. Right. They actually don't care. They don't. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's actually, what I... That's what, yeah. that's what I've learned like over the last few years that like people just don't care. Nope. They don't. And everyone's walking around thinking everyone else cares so much. Right, and nobody does. And nobody cares and everyone's got their own shit going yes. on. Everybody has their own 
crap and that they're dealing with it. They're just trying to keep their head above the water. Everyone's drowning and Everyone and it's is. okay. It's, it's good. okay. Yeah. I mean, I still have my moments, you know, where I'm like, oh man, but in general, I'm just sort of like, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, I'd say that would be a good point to end, but I have a couple more questions. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the things that, that I've heard that people like about this podcast and people of this podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, um, is the is the sort of access to elites and pros and, and understanding like the behind the scenes of, of how it works and running competitively and being paid by sponsors and things like that. So um, let's talk a little bit about sponsorship. And you've had a handful of sponsors over the years. Some have worked out well. Some have, you know, you've parted ways with. Um, let's talk about that dynamic. How how did how was it initially and then and then let's fast forward to today yeah i think it's evolved for me over the years because my first 12 and a half years i was with nike and that was i had no power in that situation right. because they're the biggest sports apparel company in the world right so and they have 100 other athletes that'll take your contract so it was fine on on a tuesday on like a tuesday. on any day yeah on any day and so it was, it was fine. It was a very supportive environment until sort of until the end. Right. Um, and then I realized like, this is actually not healthy for me, but for the, for most of those 12 and a half years, it was great. Um, but then I, some people will argue me on this and I know you're listening. <laughs> I chose to leave. Um, listen, this is Kara saying it. She was there. I was actually there. PS, she was and there. I have the documentation to show that I chose to leave. She remembers. Um, and then I kind of overwhelmed myself because I was like, well, I don't ever want to be tied down to one company ever right. again. And I want to have a bunch of sponsorships. And that became a little bit overwhelming because I hadn't thought it through like everybody wants their photo shoot. Everybody wants their right. appearances. Everybody wants their blogs. And all of a sudden you have five sponsors. So I think it's come around now where... I'm with people that are willing to work together and it's become a much more holistic opportunity where, you know, ultra and Wazelle can work together. Noon and Wazelle can work together. We all are, we all have the same mission, which is to empower people through health and right. wellness. Right. So, um, it's been really good and, but it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of learning and I am not, do not have a business background at all. I was a psychology major. And so it's been most a lot. of business is psychology anyways. Yeah. Well, it's funny because people will be like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. But it's I've gotten to a good place. And then the other thing is so many sponsorships are performance driven because that's the model, right? right. Like, I want to sponsor you because I want to see you on top of a podium. So as I've gotten older, renegotiating contracts in a way that it's about what I want to do. Like, what if I just want to do this crazy run with my husband and get lost in the mountains? Right. Like, is that just as important as me trying to qualify for the Olympics? Which traditionally the answer is no. Right. But in 2019 and 2020, 20, it's different now. Now it's like, yeah, we want to see that. We want to see all the bits and pieces. Yeah. So, and you know, like I signed with ultra when I was still trying to make a world championship team. And then I was like, I kind of just want to like explore other areas of running. Yeah. And I was nervous to tell them that. And they were like, we don't care what you do. We just want you to like keep running and showing us that yeah. other adventures it's are possible, out there. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I'm in a really good spot right now and I have long-term contracts and it, I've, I mean, honestly, I'm so freaking lucky. Like I'm 41. I like admittedly am not the athlete I used to be. My knee is messed up. I'm slow. And I still like get to make a living just like training and sharing that. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So as someone who's on the brand side of, of the endurance world, it 
it's to, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like the the results are one thing. That's what like puts you in a position to be where you are, maybe. But we care more about like being open and sharing your story and and like more importantly, more important than like the highs, like the lows and everything in between. And the athletes that we've worked with that that we've had the best relationships with are the ones that like they may not be winning races, but they're talking to their fans. They're engaged with their audience. They're answering questions. They're doing podcasts. They're doing what you're doing. And like it's a new world. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's not, you know, 2005 and and you only get a contract because, you know, you won. And I think. But like that's got to be hard for for athletes that are just like really like head down and work type athletes. So what's how's yeah. the balance of that between like you know being super open with everything and like not just sharing a highlight reel but also like getting results. And like I think of um you know athletes coming out of college that may not have a large platform. Right. But they're they're racing hard and they're winning races and stuff like that and then they're thrust into this world where like okay you want to be a sponsored athlete like open up yeah how does does that work so I feel it my experience was so different because I never had social media until 2012 I had a child by that point I had just made my second Olympic team and I signed a contract with Nissan and it required social media yeah and so that's when I started Twitter and and a Facebook page and then I got Instagram like a year later. So I feel overwhelmed for them. I I do talk to some of the CU women because they want to keep running. They're like, it's important. And I'm like, honestly, I do think it's important to share. Yeah. And um it just adds a layer of complexity because when I was younger, especially when I was like 2006 through 2010, it was just like head down, train my ass off, perform. Don't do it. And that was what that's what counted. Yeah, yeah. And I do think now it is sort of shifting, especially with certain brands to sharing your whole journey, sharing the good times and the bad. And, you know, like Wazelle was so supportive when I didn't make the Olympic team and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And they were like, but you tried your hardest and you shared the whole thing. And to me, that was like such a light bulb, like life changing thing that people would still care, even though I didn't make it. Cause when I didn't make it, I thought, well, this is how it it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone's going to pull out. This is it. Like I, I just, that's the end of it. And instead that didn't happen at all, (laughs) but that's what I was truly expecting. I think Wazelle and Noon in particular have done like an amazing job with the storytelling around athlete success and athlete journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's sort of like aspirational that like, that's the model. We want to talk about the highs and the lows and, and share the whole journey um, the, the Hoka Northern Arizona elite team comes to mind as well. Yeah. I talked with Ben Rosario at length about this. Um, he was on the podcast. He was the first guest that I had or the first episode that I released. And that interview came about because we were, we were talking about being an athlete in 2019. And he was like, you know, they've got to be down for, for interviews and magazine articles and blog posts and, podcasts and this and that and I was like podcasts would you be down for a podcast he's like yeah let me just clear my schedule and that's awesome. and it's just like that's the world like you're they're just hyper accessible right and I think that team in particular has done an amazing job with like really sharing no they definitely the highs have and the like, lows. And they've made that a priority and it shows and that's not to say that 
you can't just put your nose down and right. work and still be inspirational. I, right. Like there's some athletes coming to mind for me that are more private and that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. But I do think we're seeing a shift where there'll be more teams like that team, that Flagstaff team where people are really just sharing it. I mean, like Tin Man here in Boulder. Friend. Yeah. Tin Man Elite, they do a great yeah. job of that too. Um, and I think it's, I think, like you said, it's like that's the way of the future. It's going to be these training teams that it's a collective story versus like lone wolf. And here. you can see how when one person in the group succeeds, the whole team wins. Yeah. Rather than everyone having to be hitting it all the time right. or it's all, you know, like I just think, I mean, it's the culture is changing so much. Like when I was like on, when I was at the height of my career, it was like, Kara versus Shalane versus right. Dina, you know, is like always this versus. Whereas yeah. I feel like now it's like, oh my gosh, we have Jordan and Molly right. and, you know, and it's yeah. like a very different feel right now. And I, I hope personally that that continues because we can have multiple superstars. Right. We don't have to. I think just, it's good for the sport. It's so good for the sport. What if you don't like Kara right. and she's the only person that's being promoted? We'll tweet at her. Yeah. <laughs> let her know over Twitter. <laughs> she might block you. Daily. Um, you should let her know daily. Time, I'm just going to let you know. You <laughs> might get blocked. But um, like that's just too much. Right. But when we have multiple people doing cool things, also, it just sets up the next generation to be like, I can do that. Look right. at all these people doing that. We don't have to pit each other against each other. Totally. What's one thing that you wish everyone knew about Kara? Um, probably that I'm just really, really sensitive. And so I read all of the comments. And if you want to hurt my feelings, you are. All right. <laughs> and with that, be a good person. <laughs> yeah. And that's all we've got for today. Thanks yeah. so much, Kara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.